Hey everyone, welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Tim Chelsvik. That's Matt Drury. Hey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good too. Good. You know what? This week we got a, a returning guest and uh, I want to cut down on our an, on our BS session in the front <laughs> the end chit-chat. and get right to the good info that I'm sure everybody would rather Let's hear. Do it. So uh, without further ado, we got Ben Rising back with us Ta-da. from Whitetail Edge. The Ohio big buck killer himself. And before we get into the question of the day, I do want to ask you a question. Something that fascinated me when, when you were hunting with us, I always noticed that you always use a natural grunt tube. You, you used your, your regular voice. How, so how did you start or why did you start kind of going down that way? And it seemed like it really, really worked well for you too. Yeah. Um, I think I just got in a predicament one day where I needed it. And I found out I could do it. <laughs> Necessity. And so I started doing it. And, I, and, you know, it sucks because as I've gotten older, I can't do it at the drop of a hat like I used to be able to. I don't know why if something's – but I used to be able to just instantly do it, you know, just like some people can turkey gobble or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just – I can't do it like that like I used to be able to. I can still do it, and it does work very well. And I <laughs> Because it's just such a that natural in your it's a your it's own. a little more guttural. What I always noticed when you when you did it, it just sounded like you said it just seems like it's coming out of a, a chamber there that's a little more deep. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it. That's like the the buck that Melody killed the first year that she you know that we filmed with you guys. That's how I got that deer to turn around and come right back to us, and she killed it. You know, 150 inch deer. I've killed numerous deer that way. I have like, and that's how I probably how you remember because you remember watching all the footage you guys was editing and I would use my mouth and grunt one over a fence or do something, you know, it was just crazy. That's pretty awesome. That's a nice tool to have. It's one less thing you got to hold. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Probably a great party trick that really impresses the ladies. Hey, you want to hear me grunt <laughs> that, like a deer? That's how you got melody, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you know, the funny thing is, is we're actually we're actually working with Woodhaven Calls, and it's not through Whitetail Edge, but I own part of another brand called Spur Brand and Bonehead. And the Spur Brand is a big turkey thing, which you'll see us at the NWTF this year, Matt. And you have to come over and I'll give you a hat. Awesome. But uh, it's pretty cool. So, like, um, it's one of those, th- you know, but we're working with Woodhaven Calls, you know, and I know Mark will appreciate this because all the years he did with, you know, Madden, sure. what it takes develop calls but in 2019 we'll have a really cool grunt call that woodhaven will have made but it's going to be branded through spur and bonehead which is kind of a you know and we'll be using it on whitetail edge that's too, cool so. man that's yep. when you know you've hit it big that's right you your own grunt call S- send me one because yeah. we need I a call <laughs> i don't think so that's why mark sold <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's just a nice little thing to be able to throw out there you sure. know it's kind of cool very but cool and that's why we all do it, you know. That's right. Yeah. It's a passion for it. I don't know why we stick it to stick in it on the business side, but we we must like taking a beating. <laughs> Everybody that's in the business side, it's like, why do we do this? We get a hunt less, <laughs> and it's harder. You're closer to yeah. it, but you're you're also farther away from yeah. it at the same time. And then you always get, well, if I did what you did, I could kill a buck like that. That's right. Too. And they all talk like that. It's weird. <laughs> They all think that this is, you know, just like me. I mean, I'm a logger, timber buyer by trade. That's what I do every day, you know, and doing the show on the side. This isn't my living. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. realize that. 
Well, and, and 90, you know, all the guys on the jury team themselves have jobs. Yeah. Well, well, even Mark and Terry to an extent. I mean, Terry still owns a construction company. He's a civil engineer by trade. And Mark, realistically, he did for the longest time, he did work on that mad side. And he's, you know, he does yep. some stuff in land development and, mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing. So, Jury marketing, jury outdoors is, has never really been their primary uh, job, no. so to speak. It's the one that takes the most time and effort. <laughs> yeah, the, it's a labor the, of love. The return is it, not there. <laughs> it's funny because, like you know, we were talking the other day, and I know we were trying to keep the BS down just quick, but you know, as I was saying to you the other day on the phone, Matt, like how you know back in the day when you're on the jury team and you know whatnot and. I guess we didn't realize just how much actually went into what you guys did, you know, as managers of the team and, you know, what it took to, to have a team of 30 guys and get everybody product and deal with the sponsors and have enough funding to do the show, then do the editing and do all the stuff. And I mean, man, was I ever, you know, woke up to the fact of how much you guys actually did do and what you had to deal with on a daily basis to make jury outdoors go off the way that it did and you know doing my own thing now and it's just a small digital show not anything close to juries but just what we have to do to retain sponsors and to prove ourselves and you know with the digital everything's trackable and so you're really all you're doing is seem like stressing out all the time trying to put content out there and keep in front of people and man it's it's a daily grind and then take care of the guys that are helping you um, definitely a lot of respect for what you guys do and did all those years for sure for us. We appreciate that. It's, and it's not without guys like you. I mean, that's what the jury team's made up and, and it's not a profitable thing for, for the, the team at all. I mean, it really isn't. It's a labor of love. And, and, uh, like you said, they, they all got their own jobs and it's Mm kind of just a hobby that it's a hobby gone wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the whole mossy oak, it's an obsession. That's that's really kind of where we're all at. Right. So, well, th- so so Jared contacted us via uh, the SpeakPipe plugin on the juryoutdoors.com slash podcast page and has a question that is kind of unique and one that I think he's kind of in an enviable situation. Yeah, I think so. And I think Ben probably could relate to some of this. So uh, the question of the day is brought to you by the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro. Tread lightly, hunt confidently. Hello, jury team. This is Jared from Tennessee. I've got about 250 acres. That's a pretty good mix of hardwoods, scrubby woods, uh, fields, ag fields, CRP, uh, a good mix of just about everything, uh, as is several thousand acres around me. It's a lot of the same kind of terrain. Uh, we've got everybody's got good water. Everybody's got good food, good cover. Uh, it's really some nice deer habitat. So I want to do something to make my farm different. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe having an orchard apples, pears, something like that, possibly planting some chestnut trees, Uh, anything else maybe that I haven't thought of, uh, I'd love to hear about or maybe hear your thoughts on the two things I just mentioned. Uh, Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. See you. I love this guy. I mean, he's a he's the epitome of a gamekeeper. You know, no it, it, he's already sounds like he's got a great area, and he's just wanting to continue. You know, some some of it self serving, but ultimately to serve his deer herd sure. there. What's the next level? So, Ben, how does that strike you? How do you differentiate when you already have such great properties all around, and yours is good too? Yeah, yeah, that's a. I pondered that guy's question for a little bit, you know, and, and it, it's a very good question. And he, obviously, he's very fortunate if he lives in an area yeah. that has that kind of, you know, the same thing—the cover, the, 
everything that he needs, you know, with other people around. And um, so then again, it's like, what can he do that can change the aspect of his farm? Um, and being in Tennessee, you know, they're starting to get some pretty good deer in Tennessee these days um, from, you know, what I've been seeing. So what I know about Tennessee, there's a lot of timber, you know, and then he's saying he's got, you know, mix of grasses, you know, good cover. He didn't say really so much grasses, but cover. Um, so I just had some thoughts on, you know, different things that, you know, I thought that he could do that would change up, you know, different, uh, you know, you know, he could add, I mean, I think mm -hmm. the fruit trees and things that he's asking about are, you know, I think that's a good thing, but I think you would have to do so many of those on 250 acres to really make a difference. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, to draw a lot of deer. And, and, it, and if he went that route, should he go with kind of a monoculture um, component with like just a bunch of apple trees or apples, peaches, and, and, and try to mix it up? Does it matter? Well, I think he was thinking smart with, you know, apples and, you know, chestnuts and, you know, some, some mass crop also like that. Uh, they love pears, there's no doubt, like pear trees. I think he could scatter what I would think he would need to do truthfully is if he's willing to invest the time and the money, if he would make different plantings throughout his farm, you know, not just one general area, because those pear trees are going to hit up relatively at the same time. And, you know, five deer can pretty much devastate a pear tree once it starts dropping. So if he scattered those out on his farm and protected them until they were producing mast, um, you think that would be a good little ad, good place for him to run cameras and, you know, close to bedding areas. Um, but I had some other ideas too, that I thought he could do, you know, also that's a little off, you know, just not strictly with the fruit and adding more food to his place too. So let's hear him. Okay. Well, I kind of wrote him down here and I, I think one of the things he could do is, uh, release, you know, going to do a crop to release on some of his timber, you know, being in Tennessee, most likely he's got oak trees, uh, on his, you know, on his place there and he could go in and, you know, if you've got like a white oak tree or a red oak tree, that's, uh, you know, not real, real big yet, but starting to grow good. Um, uh, but maybe 12, 14 inches and yet beside it, it's got a couple maples or hickories that are kind of helping crowd it out. You could remove some of those trees, um, to make them, you know, cut them down, whatever, to make that tree that mass producing tree, get a little bigger top, more canopy, produce more acorns, get more sunlight. It's not going to be better for it to be like timber value in the long run because it's going to get bushier and more limier. But if you take certain areas of the farm and you turn them into these spots to where you're doing these crop tree releases on your timber, um, you're also helping your timber, but you're also helping do the, you know, the mast. Like I, crop tree is kind of a crop tree release is more for a timber harvest but i'm kind of talking crop tree release in the deer side of things where you would go in and be a little harder on the surrounding competing timber against the oaks mm -hmm. and you really devastate it and you're doing two things at once you're kind of creating some bedding and you're also releasing these mass trees to where they have the chance to get all the nutrients that that parcel of ground is producing sunlight, nutrients in the ground and everything. And it's not competing with the maples, the beach and the hickories. Uh, so that's one thing that I thought he could do. Tim, if you notice his, his background here is really shining through. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The guy spent some time in the timber. <laughs> um, so 
and, 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 you know, I mean, that's, I think that's something that can help a lot of people, you know, not just this fella here. I mean, that's stuff that anybody can do, you know, Terry and Mark can do it on their properties. You know, I mean, Mark's had me on his farm looking at timber, you know, in the past. Um, in fact, the Lindsay's now own that farm. And I think they've killed a lot of good deer close to that area where we did the timber. Nice. You know, but, um, another thing I thought he could do, um, is just do a select cut on his timber, you know, just have a work with a good sawmill or timber logging company that can, you know, if he's, if he owns the timber or the landowner does, however, if he's not the actual owner, but maybe they could, you know, work out a harvest plan, you know, do sections at a time that creates some of the best browse, um, for deer and natural food plots is actually, re, you know, the new browse that comes back from logging the following year. It's crazy how much nutrients is in that and how deer flock to those edges of those kind of timber cuts. What time um, of year do you do as a hunter? What time of year would you recommend doing that? Um, you know, typically I think late winter is a great time to harvest timber. You know, if you've already got your deer killed or you can get it set up to where you're logging during the frozen times a year, uh, you're doing a lot less damage to the ground of your property. And then you're that immediate spring, it's getting the effects of the new sun, the openness, everything is the new rains, everything is hitting it at that time. So it's got all summer to produce that new vegetation and foliage and new growth sprouts on the new timber, you know, all hardwoods regenerate themselves. So you're going to get stump sprouts and, you know, the deer are just going to flock to that kind of stuff. And so come fall, you know, those deer have had all year to adjust to that timber harvest. You'll have had a chance to see how they're using those edges and how they're entering and leaving those little thicker areas, depending on how hard you cut the timber, you know? Yeah, that's great. So those are just a couple things. Um, I've got some more here, but um, I think too, you know, he was talking about that he does have a fair bit of cover. I don't know if he has a lot of grasses. Well, he did say he had CRP. So one thing that I do, and I think some people, you know, other people probably do the same thing is staggering. You know, I don't own a bunch of land myself, but I'm able to talk landowners into letting me do stuff like this is staggering the mowing situations. Like, you know, we may wait two years on some area, some fields or acreage that has tall weeds and grass. And then, you know, after two years, mow those sections, let another section grow for two years. It, it always has given you that different age of vegetation and structure mm -hmm. um to the point to where you know deer just really like that they like that once it once a field starts getting to a point where it starts getting all those little trees and briars starting to come up into it that new stage of trying to turn itself into a woods again it gets to a point where it's kind of burned itself out it becomes good mm -hmm. cover but it's all it's not great bedding and it's not um great food at the same time i've found that really big deer like those you know, two, three-year-old weedy fields that still have clover and things growing in the bottom of them. They got a lot of mustard weed. They're starting to get some saplings in them, but they're not so polluted with briars yet that, you know, um, it just makes it so thick. But once, you know, and if you mow that and then you've got another section set up waiting for that time, then it grows three years or two years. Then you come right back after another three years and go right where you just did it again. And you just keep that constant rotation. Mm -hmm. And it really gives your farm a lot of diversity that's naturally done. And you're not having to put a lot of money into it, you know. Ben, let's say that someone doesn't own their own their property that they're hunting on. How do they how do they start that conversation with a landowner? So it doesn't sound self-serving. It doesn't sound expensive or that there's liability involved for the landowner. 
Well, you know, I mean, in, in a lot of states, there's programs for what they call TSI, which is timber stand improvement. So if the landowner owns wooded land and, you know, the hunter is able to work with the landowner and the local forester, state forester and say, hey, you know, the first step would be to get their state forester to your local forester to look at their property. And, you know, typically most timber does need help, whether it's grapevine control or Alanthus or different types of, you know, invasive species that the government will actually, a lot of times there's funding, you know, equip money that the landowners can be helped with. It doesn't cost them a dime, you know, or sometimes it may cost them very little, but in the long run, it also enhances the wildlife for the deer. It improves their timber, but there's also these stages to where, you know, it makes wildlife habitat better. And sometimes, you know, these guys can talk to landowners into saying, look, I'll go in and do some of this work in this area where you got this grapevine clump or all these, you know, call trees growing. Um, and, you know, I'll do that cutting myself. I'll do all that, you know, um, sign a you know, liability waiver, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, releasing them of harm. Um, but just if they just show that they truly care about their land, but they, you know, they're also trying to don't lie about it, that you're trying to create deer cover too, but it's also a good thing for the whole farm in general, you know? Sure. Now, uh, for, um, for this particular situation, should the listener keep, keep their plans kind of close to the vest if they're wanting to make their property different and better than other properties around, or is there, is, does it make sense for them to share their plans so other people are kind of getting on board? Well, the one thing I've found, <laughs> The, the quieter the better because it's like matt will tell you if and i deal with it every year i mean if somebody sees my vehicle parked somewhere or they think that they know i lease a farm or i hunt that farm they think there's 17 boone and crockett's running around on it and that's mm -hmm. why i'm there you know yeah. and my deer hunting has seriously gone downhill the last four years just because of the popularity and, you know, kind of going out on my own and really being more public about what I've done and how mm -hmm. I do things. It's actually hurt me in the long run of the kind of deer I have. Cause I've got so many people now crowding my farms. They figure out where I'm hunting or, you know, type of thing. And I'm losing so much age structure of the deer that would be getting into that upper age class now, because these guys are kind of getting so close to me, whether it's three acres, eight acres, 10 acres, whatever. And they're taking a lot of the tactics that I've used for years to help give me that advantage in a very high pressured area. And they're using them against me now, which, you know, I knew that was going to come. I put it out there. So it's just part of it. And, you know, but I did want to help people too. You know, I mean, I did want to kind of not, I guess you'd say God gave me a gift. I felt, and I didn't want to just hold it all to myself and be mm -hmm. selfish about it. You know, um, some days I second guess that move, but <laughs> you know, in the long run, I do think I did the right thing. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like Mark and Terry, they deal with that all the time and, and have for a long time. And it's just part of the, you know, it just comes with the territory. It, it's not ideal, you mm -hmm. know, but we always have guys sending us pictures of deer that, you know, that, hey, I shot this one. You got pictures of them? It's like, yeah, we've, we've known that one for a couple of years. It just is what it is. It's yeah. part of it. And, you know, hey, if they're doing it legally and ethically, uh, it, more power to them. It just yeah. makes it a little bit tougher to do what we do from a public 
you know, standpoint, yeah. like putting it out there on video and, and TV and internet and putting it out there from that perspective, you got to have a certain level of success every year. So that makes it tough in that, in that department. But, uh, Hey, if they're doing it, you know, the right way, you gotta, you get the old baseball term. You gotta tip, tip your cap to them. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I still, I still struggle with sharing many trail pictures yet until the deer's dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, we do the same. It's it's tough to to give too much of that information out until you, you you're sitting behind it because you know not everybody is is ethical. <laughs> you, yeah, you know what I mean. Right. There there are people that are predators that just look to get that little bit of information and go do something that isn't ethical and legal. And so, you know, they're out there and they're, they're never not going to be out there. And this is why I don't kill monster bucks. Yeah. That, only, me too. The me only too. reason why I don't want, I don't want to deal with the hassle. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Follow me around. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm kind of noted for hunting a lot of, you know, our area is just a little bit, you know, we have vast amounts of ground around here, but the, the landowners, are broken up into smaller tracks around here you know it's not like iowa or kansas or parts of illinois where you have a lot of four five six hundred you know thousand acre sections you know here a big tract of land is 200 acres anymore hmm. you know and the the norm is probably 50 to 125 and so you get a lot more hunters per per area you've got a lot more competition going on and so you just got to really kind of learn what you can do to give you that edge. And I mean, I'm not always going to give away every secret I got, but you know, I've given away a lot of them. That's for sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. And, and Ohio is a one buck state, right? Correct. That's what's really the hard part for me is mm. like, I don't even have a deer I'm trying to kill right now. I mean, our season opened Saturday. I don't either. <laughs> and I'm not even excited because I don't have the deer I want. I have some really nice deer, but it's also sad too. And I have to bring myself to reality and I am very well aware of this. You know, I'm not being a jerk when I say this, but I don't get excited in my own state looking at 160 inch deer anymore. I just don't. Now, if I'm in Illinois or Kansas and I'm out of state and I only got six, seven days to hunt, you bet I'm all over it. I mean, a 150 gets me excited, but in my own state where I live and I have all the time in the world to try to get the dupe on a big one, I want 180 plus. I mean, that's just what I want to find. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. me. You know, people can hate me for it, but that's just what I try to do. Well, it's a different, you're at a different stage in your, you know, in your hunting career, so yeah. to speak. It just, it doesn't uh, trip your trigger because you've, you've been there and you've done that and you've tr- continued to try to improve and move on to the next level. And your expectations have to be right for the areas you hunt and all that good stuff. So, yeah. And then th- th- that's, th- that's something I wish. I'm sorry. Go every, ahead, Ben. Every state's different, you know, and I mean, yeah. I hear that all the time. Like, well, I don't live where I can. And I understand that. I'm just saying I do live where I can't where I, those deer live and they grow here. And so that's just my passion is to try to ha- harvest one of those deer and, you know, do little things to my pieces of ground or leases or places I have permission to hunt that can help attract one of those mm-hmm. big deer. You know, just like this guy from Tennessee is trying to do, you know. <laughs> So we're sitting here in October by the time this podcast airs. What are you doing? Your season, you know, by the time this airs, your season will have opened. What are you doing to try to uh, scout or look for, you know, and you don't have the one yet, but generally speaking, don't give away any secrets, but what are you doing to try to find one that trips your trigger? Well, right now I actually, uh, you know, we've had a lot of rain the last few days. So today I didn't, um, 
I wasn't working in the woods as far as logging goes or buying timber, but I was doing some stuff, moving cameras around and, um, I'm trying to just find areas that, you know, like Oak flats or just different things that were deer are using and, and cause I don't penetrate my farms a lot. The places I have permission to hunt, I don't hardly penetrate those, those areas deep or get crazy. I do a lot of edge style, you know, camera running and figure out what the deer are doing from that because I, I try to leave them as sanctuaries as much as possible. But I've also found in the long run that sometimes actually hurts me because then the people that do hunt next to me, those deer are so, so at ease in my areas that they're leaving those areas to those neighbors that decide to throw a corn pile out, mm-hmm. you know, 10 feet off the line and they're slamming them, you know? So, um, I've started to get a little more aggressive about walking my property lines that I used to never do. Um, so now I'm kind of on this routine where I try to walk all my property lines at least, you know, every, once every two to three weeks and just to oh. see what the people are doing next to me and get those deer used to knowing that, you know, there's somebody walking those edges again now and things like that. And I've actually seen it kind of, kind of put, you know, I've seen it work a little bit to where the deer have kind of, stuck in the center a little more again but um i'm just looking for new deer i'm looking i'm I'm putting cameras on road crossings anything that i can scrapes now i'm transitioning you know cameras to like scrape areas where on the edges of fields to see if new bucks are showing up because not every deer is going to be on a food source you know or a mineral lick or a corn pile or and you know you just don't always get deer some deer just plain camera shy um, and crops are just starting to come off in some areas. So I think that's going to start moving deer around. So a slammer could show up at any time, you know, it's kind of the fun of it. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole point. Yep. You never know. Great. Well, Jared, I think, uh, I, I think you've got some, uh, some really concrete ideas from Ben on how to make your property different. Yeah, it's not easy either. I mean, that's something that he's got a good, like you said at the beginning, he's got a good problem there. That if all his landowners around him, it sounds like maybe they're all managing, they're all doing the right mm-hmm. thing. Ultimately, they're probably all better for it. But uh, to differentiate yourself, some of the stuff that Ben was, you know, talking about made a lot of sense. The the timber stand improvement side of it, the stuff that Jared had mentioned about adding in, you know, the the all the fruit Fruit trees trees, that can add up pretty quickly. That stuff's expensive. And, and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so you want to make sure and do your homework there and, you know, get somebody like native nurseries from Mossy Oak and, and, and really talk to them and put a game plan together with somebody that knows what they're doing. Uh, cause that, that can be a very expensive uh, endeavor, uh, depending on how, how far you want to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And expensive. And it it doesn't get you the bang that you want for your dollar if you you don't do it right. Yeah. Great. I think, one thing not to cut you off but i think one thing too that he could what people gotta understand is mature deer don't want to bed and look at a bunch of other deer they just don't you know that's it's kind of like you know the when you're when you get to be a certain age you don't want to hang around with a bunch of people you don't want to be around a bunch of teenagers or a bunch of young guys because you don't feel the same way they do and you don't do things the same way they do so you kind of start to become a loner well big mature deer are the same way so the more options you have for bedding, like south-facing hill slopes, creating different bedding pockets on south-facing hill slopes for bad weather and sunny so they can get that sun in the wintertime, you know, taking a good open stand piece of timber and just creating micro bedding areas within that or, you know, little pockets of cover out in grasses. Just give as many different micro bedding areas as possible, too, to give all, 
all those deer options to where they can bet up and not have to stare at other deer the whole time. I think this podcast, you've given us some great information here, more than maybe any of the rest of the podcasts outside of some of the ones maybe Mark's been on, but yeah, it, this is a lot of good information, honestly, like stuff that you really don't, people really don't talk about quite often. So I appreciate you kind of giving us a little bit of that insight and you really see how your, your day job shines through and, and probably helping you become an ultimate, ultimately a better hunter, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt that, I mean, I mean, I live in the timber. You know, I mean, that's just it. I, I live in the woods. Um, that's been my breadwinner since I was 16 years old is, you know, being in the timber. Um, I developed that love early and, you know, my dad, you know, instilled that in me as a young boy from squirrel hunting to trapping, to, you know, coon hunting with dogs. And I mean, it's just always been my life. I mean, it just really is. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I had a guy literally one time on Facebook start slamming me for like, well, you just think what he goes, what makes you think you're a better hunter? Because you, your job is in the woods compared to mine. That's in the office. You know, he worked an office job and he's like, I still don't see how that makes you a better hunter. Well, I, how could it not? I mean, if you're on a computer all day, I mean, there's no doubt that guy is better on a computer than I ever will be because that's what he does. Yeah. You know? and, and so like, I think, and I, I think I just have a natural gift too, you know, from being small, and my dad teaching me animal habits, I think that really helped under, helped me understand how animals move in general, not just mm-hmm. even deer, anything, how they use structure and terrain of land, what, you know, what kind of route they're going to take. And, you know, my friends all just say, you know, that are around me, it's like, well, if you want to know how a deer is going to use a farm, just call Ben and have him walk it and he'll tell you. And, and I'm pretty close a lot of times. And, but, you know, Mark and them guys, you know, I've told everybody that I've ever come across that you know, people don't realize that just because Mark and them have real nice farms now and whatnot, they didn't start there. You know, mm-hmm. they started just like we all did, you know, back in the day when it was tough and it's still tough for a lot of people. It's still tough for us. You know, even though you may have a, a thousand acre farm to, to get the drop on a 200 inch deer still is not an easy task, but you could drop Mark or Terry or any of the Drury guys anywhere on the planet into a woods that they've never hunted before. And by the end of the day, they're going to have some pretty good ideas where they need to set up. And I'd say by the end of two weeks, they're going to have a deer killed. You know, that's just, it's just that this is the way it works, you know? And I get so tired of hearing people say that, you know, well, if I had that opportunity, I could do that. You know, well, we all could, you know, it's just, you gotta just take it all with a grain of salt and really just be happy for the people that that are trying to teach you the stuff that they've known and someday your life may change and you may have the opportunity to, to hunt more or do different things. You know, we all kind of make our own road the way I look at it. Just take some hard work and, and a few breaks along the way. Totally. You know, I yeah. Think. I've just decided that I love the timber and that's where I'm going to make my living. And, and me and my wife, that's what we've always done. We've just decided as a family, this is just a road we take. In fact, Melody is the one that introduced me to Drury Outdoors when I was, she bought me a Drury Outdoors videotape in 1995. Wow. 1998 for my birthday. So we, uh, we owe it all to Melody then. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you give her a hug for me and tell her, thank you. (laughs) But I mean, I'm just saying, you know, so she knew I loved a deer hunt. I was a decent deer hunter then, but man, once I really started taking the approach that Mark and Terry were putting on it, it changed my life. I mean, you know, there is no doubt that there's no, in my honest opinion, 
no two people have changed the sport of deer hunting more than Mark and Terry have. No, That's just the honest yeah. to God's truth. That's humbling. We appreciate you saying that. And, and, uh, hopefully we can continue on that. That's, you know, like the, the new app DeerCast. that's just an extension of what they've done for 30 years. Right. And, and hopefully we we're reflecting what's happening with technology and we're, we're changing with it and evolving with it and Staying relevant. giving people another tool. Hopefully, you know, in the beginning it was VHS then DVD, then the TV shows then online. And now hopefully this app will continue to take us into the forefront of the future. Totally. So, yeah. Ben, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, if folks want to learn more about you, follow your work, how do they do that? Uh, www.whitetailedge.com. They can find us on Facebook, Whitetail Edge, Instagram, Whitetail Edge Official. Um, I don't do Twitter. Um, I think we have an account, but I don't think we ever do anything with it. It's got dust on it. <laughs> yeah, but it's just kind of, I'm not a big social guy, but we have to do it. And uh, But, you know, Carbon TV, Hunt Channel, uh, different places like that so we'll be coming to some new areas too i think here in the future so but i uh, really appreciate it and appreciate you guys having me on you know and hopefully we can do it again next season absolutely Sounds man that's good. one thing you can never learn enough so we'll definitely keep doing the podcast we'll have you back on absolutely okay. and if you want to be like jared and have your question answered by uh, whitetail pro uh, check us out on, uh, go to the website, duryoutdoors.com slash podcast, and you can go to the speak pipe tab on the side, click on that and leave us a quick message with your, uh, hunting related question. And we may air that and answer it, which is really cool. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that at all the places you normally would for podcasts, iTunes, Google play music, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, all the, all the podcast locations. It's free. It's best to subscribe that way you get the show immediately when it launches. It's called Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. There you go. And then, of course, you could always follow us on social media, Drury Outdoors, anywhere that you can find social media. And then on YouTube, while you're there, you probably are watching this uh, very podcast right now. Hit subscribe. We're giving away a PSE bow. When we hit 100,000 subscribers, we're well on our way. So you'll you'll make sure and do that, and you'll, you're automatically entered in. And, uh, of course, the big push for us right now is DeerCast, man. The season's here. It's top of mind for everybody. And uh, the, the, the feedback's been wonderful so far on the app, and, and hopefully we can continue to help uh, you all at home uh, target that answer animal and 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 mm -hmm. have some success on getting on them so uh, just by all means go to the android the google play store or the apple app store mm -hmm. and search DeerCast. it'll come up it's free for this year uh, check it out we think you'll like it and we've had a couple of folks so far sheldon and ryan who killed great bucks using DeerCast, and so they have been highlighted as part of our new series called the DeerCast bragging board yeah so if you have success using DeerCast, upload your pictures tell us your story inside the app there in the app in the DeerCast app and you may be regionally famous <laughs> are just famous or infamous or, yeah <laughs> well all right let's let's do it let's shut this thing down thanks for joining us everyone today all right peace we're adding new videos every week so make sure to click that subscribe button and check out all of our amazing content this episode of dod tv is brought to you by lacrosse footwear